Al Jazeera Podcasts. Today, you could call him U.S. public enemy number one. Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks. What they're doing is criminalizing journalism, is criminalizing the truth. His wife, Stella Assange, is his number one defender. As Julian's legal cards run out in the UK, Stella warns his life is at stake. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Stella Assange is now waiting for London's High Court to make a decision. Her husband Julian, an Australian citizen, has made his final bid in the UK to avoid extradition to the United States. He's been indicted in the US on 18 charges over the publication by WikiLeaks of hundreds of thousands of classified documents in 2010. 17 of those counts are for espionage. He is accused of conspiring with former Army intelligence officer Chelsea Manning to hack into a Pentagon computer. Manning went to prison but had her sentence commuted. Assange's lawyers say he may face 175 years in prison. Stella attended the hearings on Tuesday and Wednesday and joined Julian's supporters outside the court. What they're trying to argue is that state secrets trump revealing state crimes. So I sat down with Stella a day after the hearings concluded. I'm Stella Assange, and I am a human rights lawyer. I'm also Julian Assange's other half, and we got married two years ago. So first of all, Stella, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. So you're among those who are inside the courtroom. What has this week been like for you? Between those two settings, inside the courtroom, outside the courtroom, walk me through what's happened and what that's felt like. Well, it's really uh, such contrast, both within and without the courtroom. Outside, you see the enormous support that Julian has. People showed up on both days. It was cold. It was rainy. It was just overwhelming to arrive. You couldn't move through the crowds. I, I had a police escort surrounding me to get me through the crowd. Uh, there was a lot of press as well this time around, much more than there has been previously. And so uh, arriving to court, there was just an enormous show of support. Inside the courtroom, again, this enormous contrast where we were bringing the appeal and saying that Julian is being targeted for his political opinions, that he is the victim of a retaliatory prosecution in which the country he exposed committing war crimes and other internationally illegal acts is the same country that's now trying to extradite him and put him in prison for the rest of his life. On the other hand, you have the United States, and their argument is Chelsea Manning's not a whistleblower, Julian Assange's not a journalist, and it doesn't matter what was in those documents, they were secret, and state secrecy trumps 
the exposure of state criminality. This legal battle has been going on for so long. Was there anything that surprised you this week, this Tuesday and Wednesday in these hearings? I think it's hard to say now because we don't have a ruling. What I can say is that they looked engaged. We were able to present before the judges the new evidence, which is that during the Trump administration, when Mike Pompeo was the head of the CIA, there had been plans, sketches, options developed to assassinate Julian, and that these conversations had occurred within the White House and that Mike Pompeo had asked his agency to develop those plans to assassinate Julian. More than 30 former officials described how then-CIA director Mike Pompeo was apparently motivated to get even with WikiLeaks following its publication of sensitive CIA hacking tools called Vault 7, which the agency considered the largest data loss in CIA history. And, of course, Julian would never be safe in the United States, considering that this is a country that has plotted his assassination. Yeah. Well, you were at the court hearings, but Julian was not, because it's his legal team, and you have said he is incredibly unwell. How is he doing now, and how have you been coping with that? Well, his health is in decline and is in constant decline because he remains imprisoned in the UK's harshest prison, Belmarsh High Security Prison, without serving a sentence, without being convicted of anything, solely on the basis of this extradition request from the United States. And he is forced to challenge that extradition request while in the worst possible conditions in a single jail cell where he has very little contact with other people, where his physical health obviously is deteriorating because that's what happens when you're in long-term incarceration like that. Mm. And obviously, if he had not been in a prison cell over the past five years, he would be in uh, a state of health in which he would be able to attend his own hearing. He wasn't even able to attend via video link. It should be a wake-up call to everyone who who thinks he's just, um, he's fine as long as he's alive, that this is the true cost of keeping him in prison like this. Mm. Julian hasn't been well for a while now, and that is part of his team's argument against extradition, that he's not going to be treated humanely in the U.S., where his lawyers say he could face 175 years in prison. What do you fear, taking all of that in mind, might happen if Julian is extradited to the U.S.? Well, this prosecution is really driven by some elements within the United States administration who want Julian dead. Obviously, there's the the information we now have about the Trump administration's era. That's a real fear that I have that regardless of what the Biden administration might do, uh, there are elections coming up, and Julian is at the mercy of the political changes in the United States, in Australia. The current government in Australia is supporting him. That could change. It shouldn't be the case that whether you get indicted or not, whether you live or die, is up to who sits in the White House. Mm -hmm. But that's the reality here. 
the Obama White House said it was not going to bring a case against him. The Trump administration brought this case because it would set a precedent, because it would give it a new tool to be able to use against the press. That's what they wanted. They had an adversarial relationship with the press. They wanted a head on a pike. And that was Julian. That was this case. Um, and to a large extent, the U.S. press went along with it. And the Biden administration has continued it. After the break, what's next for Julian and for Stella and their family? Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Stella, what can get lost in the legal wranglings of this, the twists and the turns of this years-long story, is the human element? And as we're talking, I see some gorgeous artwork on the wall behind you that I'm going to assume is from your two kids with Julian. Is that right? Yes. So you had been on Julian's legal team for years, including his period of asylum in the Ecuadorian embassy. And that's sort of where your story, the one that happens away from the cameras and the press, begins. What were those days like? And how do they compare to what you are facing right now? Well, Julian was inside the embassy for seven years. And it was during that time that we got together about nine years ago now. And I mean, Julian's just an amazing human being. He's extremely principled, brilliant, very curious about the world and also loves to share his knowledge in a very generous and engaging way. He's passionate about trying to understand the world and about justice. And so, of course, I fell in love with him. (laughs) And uh, it was really important to us that our relationship was not contaminated by all the noise within this, you know, crazy environment of surveillance and espionage and propaganda warfare, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we succeeded pretty well. Because no doubt, I mean, if if we had been public at that point, it would have become itself, uh, our relationship would have become an attack point by these nefarious um, forces. Yeah. I only stepped into the public eye after Julian was imprisoned and a few months into his imprisonment, I wrote to the judge asking the judge to give him bail so that he could be at home. Mm. And that was denied, but that's that's how my name came out. And it was a difficult period because our youngest son was just a few months old. Mm. On the other hand, you know, I, I'm able to defend Julian as a public person. And my, my fears that came mainly out of concerns for our safety have been eclipsed by the need to have Julian come home and our children to be able to have their father. Uh, You have to weigh these risks. And it's clear to me that the greater risk is losing Julian and I can handle everything else. Thank you for sharing what is, you know, private information, but, but letting us know what you can 
it's, it's important to see that side of the story because every story has multiple sides and Julian is not only the publisher of WikiLeaks, but he is also a father and a husband. Stella, you have said in one of your interviews recently that the attack on Julian is the gravest attack the world has ever seen against free press. And if it needs reminding for our listeners, Julian founded WikiLeaks in 2006, and among the many shocking revelations in the hundreds of thousands of classified files that WikiLeaks published was the video of a U.S. helicopter fatally shooting around a dozen people in Iraq, including two Reuters journalists. And you can hear the gunners laughing about it. That was all recorded for the world to see. And it's information we may never have known about if it weren't for this leak. How do you think that this hearing and what follows will impact the publishing and freedom of information that the public has a right to know? Well, everything depends on how this case goes. There's simply never been a publication that has so comprehensively exposed state criminality, including war crimes. And no person who was involved in those killings has been prosecuted, has seen a single day in court. The only person who has suffered as a result is the one who exposed these crimes. So the case against Julian is really a case that punishes the journalist who exposes state criminality. That's really the essence of it. And the U.S. doesn't deny that this is what the contents of the publications contain. They avoid at all costs to talk about it. Mm. They're simply asserting the power to be able to silence the publisher and to imprison the publisher and to basically make turn him into a, a deterrent for the rest of the press in the future. And that message is loud and clear. That's why you have the editorial boards of the New York Times and the Washington Post. They don't like defending Julian, I'm sure, but who have said that this case is an existential threat for the First Amendment in the United States. That's the press freedom protection that it is already interfering with their ability to publish information. Mm. Well, Stella, if Julian's bid to stop this extradition fails, are there any legal steps left for him? If he loses this round in the UK, that's it as far as the UK courts are concerned. There is no further avenue for appeal. He can still try to get his case heard at the European Court of Human Rights, and he can do that, but... The UK will still extradite him unless the European Court of Human Rights issues an order to the UK to stop it. And um, if he's sent to the United States, he will be put in solitary confinement. There's just no question. And the agency that gives the recommendation to the Bureau of Prisons about the conditions that a suspect in a national security case should be held in is the CIA, i.e. the agency that, the same agency that has previously plotted to murder him. It's simply fanciful to think that he's going to be safe in a U.S. prison. Wow. 
That's a lot. Um, finally, Stella, we're about a month away from a date that you and I both share, and that is our wedding anniversaries. Really? Yeah. You know your husband better, perhaps, than anyone else. What should the world know about Julian Assange that is left out of the headlines and the stories about him that you know from his being a husband, a father, a partner, a publisher? People should know that Julian is incredibly principled. He's the most principled man I know. He's also profoundly motivated by helping human progress through fairness and justice. He takes it personally. He suffers when he sees injustice. He hates seeing suffering in war. I mean, he really feels it. I think it's something that many people can relate to, having seen the scenes of what's coming out of Gaza. I think one of the reasons why some of his comments about the Afghan war and the nature of war and the true motivations of the warmongers have have gone viral because he's able to connect why that carnage is happening uh, to the specific interests that are driving that kind of thing. So he's a public intellectual and he's a public intellectual on the side of the disadvantaged and the suffering of this world. And he's, he's much needed. Stella Assange, thank you so much for taking time out of your incredibly hectic week to talk to us. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Sariel Khalili and Sonia Bagat with Amy Walters, Nagin Oliayi, Chloe K. Lee, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, David Enders, Khalid Sultan, Zaina Bezer, Berenice Campana, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Nay Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.